All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner Postgame Edition. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I'm here with Florida Hoya. John, we just saw Georgetown lose their sixth consecutive game in Newark. Seton Hall 78, Georgetown 67, in a score that kind of flatters the Hoyas a bit. Georgetown mustered just 19 points in the first half. They got together in the second half. What they did not get together was containing pirate guards Jared Roden and not Miles Powell, but Miles Kale. 30 and 26, the backcourt combined for 56 points. Georgetown was led by Cutis Wahab and Javon Blair. At halftime, Jamarco Pickett was the Hoyas' leading scorer with four as Georgetown shot just 22% in the first half. I believe they opened the game. I want to say it was five for 32, but the first half was eight for 36. John, what can you say about what has become a scheduled loss to the Pirates? Uh, It is a cold winter's evening, and the jerseys are teal. The Hoyas got boat raced again. How does it feel? Happy Festivus, Bobby. Hey, hey, you know what? I was a little bit late. I was out trying to buy a couple last-minute presents which is hard because just the way life is with with everything. But I walked in, and Georgetown was in a timeout, which I knew wasn't good. Jim Jackson was talking about how they needed it. I was like, oh, God, what's the score already? But I, apparently president of the Title Blue fan club, was very excited. I did put up a poll. A couple people came after me, not liking the Title Blue, calling it teal. I don't know what color it is. If you have to pick an alternate jersey... I'm not saying that tonight's version was the best. I know there was like the aqua jerseys and I do like the shade of blue. I'm not going to die on the hill of it has to be a certain color, but I would say that was one of, one of the best parts after the game. Ewing talked about the defense. Uh, Kareem Copeland was asking about the defense. I specifically asked about three pointers and what they need to be doing. Ewing here says we have to take the challenge and run them off the three point line, make them put it on the floor. It's one of the things we talked about before the game. They're a good shooting team. We got to run them off the line. We got to protect the paint still. We also have to take away the pick and roll, but we have to get out to them. We closed out short time and time again. If we're going to be able to win, we have to be able to get up into them and make them put it down. Now, to Georgetown's credit, Seton Hall shot 36% for the game. The problem was in the second half, they shot 63% or a hot five for eight, but they only took eight attempts, but it was the guys that were taking them. Miles Kale was, you know, five for nine. Bryce Aiken, who's now two and zero against the Hoyas, having picked up a win with Harvard in the NIT 2019 version, was zero for five. But it did seem like there was that stretch. And if I had told you, John, before the game, that Sandro, I don't know if I can say his last name, I'm going to call him Mamu, would have just two points, would would you have expected the margin to be like this? If I if I said, look, you know what, Georgetown's going to take out maybe the best player in the Big East. Hold them to two. Would you have thought that was pretty good odds? You know, as a matter of fact, you know, when I'm going on the podcast, I usually write down a couple things that I want to pay attention for in the game. And that was, and Mamu was the, uh, was the first thing I was interested in paying attention to. Honestly, I wanted to see who was going to cover him. And I think when we were able to check up on defense, like we wanted to, it was usually Pickett. But I was curious how we were going to defend him. He had a 20 point per game score. And in the end, he didn't have much of an impact on the game, at least through scoring. I will say 
I know Kevin Willard mentioned something to the effect in the post game that he he was just straight up fatigued. I think. Yep, that's what um, he said. It just what you know, there's, it was tired. This wasn't going to be the night for him. What I will say about his contributions in the first half, there were at least three separate occasions in the first half where, although he didn't didn't score the basketball, the attention that we paid to him. There's one case we dug down on him, and some cases where just where our attention is just glued to him. He's getting a double, or he's getting a lot of a hard closeout or hard closeout ish on the perimeter. Long story short, at least three occasions, like directly because of attention we paid to him, Seton Hall gets easy buckets. So he's creating offense, even if he's not directly getting assists offense, still creating offense to some degree. As it happens, you know, you know, decent teams will be this way. You're going to have a tired night from probably your best player on paper, but you're, you're deep enough in the secondary guys. And you've got plenty in the secondary level, you know, between Roden and Kale and, you know, when, when Aiken gets you back fully healthy, he'll be probably the same way to, to, you know, Perfectly well carried a load on the offensive end. It wasn't wasn't a problem. This was another one where the final score line looks, you know, in the you're in the general ballpark, but this was never competitive. There was not no. a moment in this game where it was remotely competitive. I think we were in single digits once in the second half for a possession. It 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 just isn't there. You know, that was yeah, yeah, Mama was the thing I was looking at first and it ended up being a non factor. So, you know. I guess that that is what it is, right? That's what that's what talent gets you. That's what a deep roster gets you. And we just we don't have quite enough either of those right now to uh, to make up for uh, you know just just make up for anything really. So I think one of one of the things about college basketball is that obviously the players come and go. More recently, the players, and not just at Georgetown, but there's not as many household names because guys are leaving much earlier. Guys like Patrick Ewing, if he was a freshman this year would not stay four years, right? But one right. of the things is you look at the programs and it, it's it's the coach. And I thought tonight particularly really showed that, right? So Seton Hall's brand has, you know, recently you've had Miles Powell. Last year, Romario Gill had eight blocks in one game. He had four in the other. He had 12 blocks against Georgetown in Seton Hall's season sweep last year. Well, tonight you have another guy comes. I, yeah, it'll be Agu. Yeah, so he's got nine blocks. You know, Ewing says early on, he says, you know, this guy changed the game. He says, it hurt us a lot. He had nine blocks. He affected our game in the first half. We got to step up our game and make shots. And then, you know, Willard comes back and he talks about how much he wanted to run Georgetown off the three-point line and bring him inside. And it worked and they got it. So while, I mean, for me particularly, I don't know if you were at the Big East tournament in 2019, I think in the first half, Miles Powell outscored Georgetown himself. So I was very excited that Miles Powell was gone, right? Like he's gone. Like that's great. But as a program, Seton Hall, like this is kind of how they play. You know, they, they, you know, this guy switches over, he slides over here, slides over there. And you kind of can just close your eyes and picture what Seton Hall is going to be. And I think that is a bigger picture question for Georgetown is when you close your eyes and you figure like, what is this Georgetown program like? Like, I don't know what that answer is. I mean, unfortunately, then like there are some there are some places where it's just been a house of horrors. And it's one thing to really struggle and say, oh, you know, you haven't won at Villanova in a long time. Well, that kind of makes sense. They've got a lot of banners up and that stuff. But, you know, Seton Hall, you, you know, that's kind of Seton Hall to me. Seton Hall Providence are the places where when you look at and yes, a team like Villanova can become what they are. But when Georgetown really went down was when. You got teams like Providence and Seton Hall that are just, you know, so far ahead of you. And I know that there's, you know, Georgetown's doing everything they can to try and get back to that. But that to me, like the fact that you know you're going to Seton Hall 
you know it's a loss. And, you know, seven, eight years ago before the Big East changed, you know, you didn't always play Seton Hall every year, but you wish you did because, you know, it's a guaranteed win. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they've gone through Willard, you know, kind of solidified himself at Seton Hall with, with the Isaiah Whitehead class. And, he, you know, he had, for, he had Isaiah Whitehead for a couple of years there. Yeah. That class, you know, what, what got him, what bridged him really between Isaiah Whitehead and Miles Powell, and there's several years gap in there, is – you know, you kept the, the the Angel Delgado and the other members of that class too. But what really bridges you and keeps Seton Hall relevant, even you know, when losing players like that, is they have a brand identity. Um, yeah. They are a team that's going to play extremely hard. Um, they're 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 very physical, very tough. Um, I think it's it's instructive. I, I particularly noticed this in the second half. We talk about running guys off the three point line. I mean, just go back and watch this game and watch how Seton no. Hall close. I, dude, okay, first I thought, of all, first I thought all, we were friends. Right. I thought we were friends. Right. I apologize. You're uh, right. Please don't do that. It's the holidays. Practice self-care. But just in the second half, notice how Seton Hall closes out a three-point shooter. Notice how you've got your arm up. It's a hard closeout, but it's controlled, and it bothers Georgetown. We like There's a whole period of time, and really in the second half, but really both halves, I guess, where it, Georgetown's just not getting anything on the perimeter, and it, looks, it dishevels you. In contrast, that's how Georgetown – you know, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. In Kobe Clark's brief cameo yeah. in the game in, in the first half, somebody made a three-pointer over him. But what distinguished it was, oh, my God, somebody actually closed out with their hands up. Uh, and there's – I'm not going to pick an A player in particular, but there are some guys in Georgetown who the next time they do that will be the first time. Um, and that's before even in the general zip code of a, of a guy shooting. This matchup actually, last season, in the game in Newark, was sort of the like the exhibit A of Georgetown not being able to really figure out what they want to do in terms of shutting down perimeter. Yeah. Um, Seton Hall in the first half, especially last year, had just an ungodly amount of. We're talking like open threes with nobody within ten feet. It was it was astounding. And I'll be honest, in the first half, several of those two they didn't hit. Um, Seton Hall didn't shoot the lights out from three this entire game. Um, in the first right. half, was- honestly, they got pretty lucky. From being for being fair to Seton Hall. No, that um, was the kind of game where you're down 45-19, right? Yeah, I mean, it, with a slightly different they shooting performance. And what actually went really like, what you know, you know, they're down, they're down 14 at the half. Like it's not like St. John's where I think they had it down to eight at the half, and it's like that. You know, one scoring run could go either way. Yeah. The difference between this game is interesting, and this game is just is what it became was. Yeah, you know, Seton Hall had been great shooting even on open shots in the first half, but. You know, Roden and Kale both, well, there's a period in the early in the second half, Seton Hall hit, I think, four straight threes, three of which were from either corner and were all wide open. Yep. Um, and then Kale and Roden started actually hitting tough shots. And at that point, you're like, no, nah, this isn't happening. You can't, you can't weather that. I, I said on the podcast last time I was on, after the, uh, the Nova game, I think. Nova game, whatever game it was, I said, this, you know, the, the talent level, I think everybody understands the talent level on the team this season is a little bit down. A lot, you know, a lot of unex, unexpected departures. You know, we'll talk. I'm sure we're going to talk in a few minutes about the recruiting class coming in, the optimism that that, that brings with it. But it's just, I, I said, I actually think this that the talent level on the roster was less than I expected on paper going into the season. But I don't think I was going to alter my record prediction because I thought, given the rant, you know, everybody's dealing with a really unexpected, uncertain, unprecedented situation with COVID. Yeah. And there are just going to be games where players like like Mamu tonight who are just hired and fatigued and particularly right before the holidays um and you know teams playing in unusual situations like what big east game has ever been played on you know 
at five o'clock on December 23rd in an empty arena, there was going to introduce, I thought, more randomness where you could see unusual upset. And I thought, you know what? We almost saw it. Up with some, at, with at some unusual, yeah, we could, we could see the unusual upset. I think what tonight proved is it's going to probably have to be the other team's fault. I thought, okay, Georgetown and like the Seton Hall, Marquette, Providence, like kind of tier of the conference. I think you could pull some games off, like just with the randomness. But I think I, I have not seen a game yet. I've seen like a half a basketball against Villanova in the conference. that I think it's good enough for us to do it on our own where it would be our fault. It's got to be, I think, the other team's fault right now anyway. So Seton Hall would have had to have shot like they did in the first half of the entire game, and then more stuff would have had to have happened. Like they would have had to have been just totally out of the picture. Um, and it's, it's just not there right now. Uh, I think Ewing said in the postgame that, you know, we just don't have a guy who could throw the ball out there too and can create his own shots. I think the first 15 minutes of the game showed that. It was, it was pretty ugly. You know what, though? He did say that. But I think what I, and, you know, I'll, I keep repeating it every pod. So if you're, if you're listening, this is your version of the Bobby drinking game. I don't understand bringing in a second team and just going ego FA. I'm not picking on him. I'm picking on the idea of playing with a center in 2020, 2021, right? Like, you know, Seton Hall's controlling the paint. This kid's going to have 20 blocks. And when Wahab takes a break, I think your strength at that point is just putting shooters on the floor. Like, and they don't, right? Like they go and they, you know, keep with the whole, you know, a center. I don't know if that's Ewing. Like Ewing is one of the greatest centers of all time. That's just his philosophy. I don't know. But that I think is one thing that could be changed. And I don't think that Georgetown, even even Wahab, I don't think that Georgetown centers are skilled enough to be like, we got to force it inside and then work our way out. And so when he said, you know, we don't have anyone that we can, we don't have like a go-to score. I still see them, you know, they're down 17, you know, just working it in the paint. And I'm not suggesting just chucking up bad threes, but you can certainly move the ball around and get good threes. Other teams do it against Georgetown all game long. I think Georgetown's offense has been the best in games. And you, you see it in the first half of games, St. John's and, and West Virginia and Villanova, especially yeah. um, when they are actually moving the ball around the perimeter in the half court, the ball does move. That's, um, that, they do, I mean, that's going to be their do, strength. It's got to be. Do like, they do like to get early offense. They do like to go quick. That can be a blessing and a curse. But I think when you've seen them be successful in the first halves of games. I think the early offense works. It doesn't always, but it does work. And you also get some decent ball movement at the perimeter. That's when they're the most successful. Um, you know, I will say in most of those games, it doesn't work out the same way in the second half. I haven't seen a complete, you know, soup to nuts, you know, good game with this team against solid competition. But, you know, again, it's, it's, it's to some degree, it is, is, is a young roster. It hasn't played together much and had limited practice time. I will say to your point about what do you do when you take a, do you try to go a little smaller, take a center out You're, I mean, like you know, there's sort of just a lack of good options. Right. I mean, that probably necessitates you playing belay at the five in a small lineup. And I know people have their opinions about him. I think it's gotta be picket, but I think also, you, you, I mean, I guess you, ah, I mean, I guess you could, um, but... you'd have to really, yeah, with picket, I feel like you're going to really have to junk up your defense and, I think what we've seen so far from the 2-3 zone tonight is that that's a work in progress still yeah, after that's what three Ewing, and a half years. Ewing, Ewing said that, but I think just like all of Ewing's teams, they're going to have to, you know, 
for them, the path to victory is outscoring. And I know like, yes, duh, you have to outscore. But what I mean is this isn't a team that's going to win many like 62, 57 games, right? So I think the trade-off on defense when you go smaller is that you're more likely to score. And I just, you know, I don't think that, I just don't think that the advantage is there when you stay big. And I'm surprised that they're still doing it, but it's I, still, it's still early. Yeah. Now, go ahead. I was going to say, I fell in love with Kevin Willard's quotes at Big East Media Day. Obviously, Jay Wright is king of the conference, but I thought Willard, you know, he's, I think you might have been on the pod when I was talking about that. He's obviously, you know, he's a Patino guy, his dad coached, like he's got some really good stuff. He's not scared to say it. Where do we rank Kevin Willard and Big East coaches? I think he's definitely, I I think he's got to be second, but I think the problem with when you rank the coaches behind Jay Wright None of them have really done anything in the NCAA tournament. And as Georgetown podcast, we know what happens to a coach when the tournament success is not there, right? But Willard and particularly Ed Cooley, you know, they've been getting their teams to the tournament. Willard's one and three um, with uh, Seton Hall. There was a game against Wofford. I think it was Wofford that I had them going pretty far in my bracket that year. So I'm, I'm still pretty salty about that. Cooley's not any cool Cooley's not any better. He's one in five. Uh Mac obviously was the second best coach as far as success in the tournament. He's been at Louisville for a couple years now, but he got Xavier to the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight as uh, a big East school. But do you think do you do you think Willard's right there? And you know, um McDermott hasn't really done much in the NCAA tournament with uh Creighton, although they've been ranked pretty highly the last last couple of years. Well, I mean, you know, you, some of the coaches that you mentioned, it's not like the fan base hasn't been a little bit, not salty, but I mean, certainly Marquette fans noticed Wojo's postseason record. I think Providence fans noticed Cooley's. Yeah. I'm not just biased in that because Andrew talks about it incessantly. I happen to like Ed Cooley. I have no problem with Ed Cooley. I mean, the tournament record is what it is. You know, I like what Willard's done. They've generally been able to avoid like a huge swoon. Yeah. You know, over the, over the years. And it was a little dicey before he finally, you know, they won a Big East tournament there. What was that? 15, 16, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, you know, with the Whitehead class, that was a big, you know, it was a big deal. Sort of solidified him as, yeah, this guy is, is something. And they've kept it up. They've got, you know, and this will be an interesting year because they, they're making a transition from a guy who was a big scorer, all, all world kind of player, very ball dominant. And they're, they're, but their brand identity is still there though. And I, I think that's something that you can appreciate Tournament results, maybe, you know, eventually they come. I don't know. Um, you know it's and, high up on my list. This is always the discussion of, like, I've, I've proposed the thought experiment before. If you ask every Big East program's fans, I'm going to put the name of every coach in a hat, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to choose a Big East coach at random out of a hat, and you are stuck with that coach. You're going to basically trade your coaching staff for theirs. Um, who takes the deal? I mean, and that's, that's always been a thought experiment of how, how, how comfortable are you with your coaching staff? Are you so, so comfortable that you would never take that deal? Are you so willing to make the trade that you would do it no matter, you just do it in a, without a second thought? Or are you somewhere in the middle where, like, what would a Providence fan do? Do you, you know, and Ed Cooley has ties to, you know, that area. He's been there for a while. What do you do with Ed Cooley, you know, uh, you know? What would Georgetown fans say about Patrick Ewing? If you were making this decision like right now, how do you feel about how what Patrick Ewing's been building for the future in this recruiting class? So know. before we move on, 
Is he the second best coach from you? Boy, I'd really have to think about that. If I were if I were building a program from scratch, trying to think. I mean, there's certainly a lot of potential with Dan Hurley. Let's we'll see how how UConn does. Um, and that's interesting I mean, one up there, because he's up, there. he's up there. He's gotta be. I think Hurley's an interesting one because, you know, whatever anyone's belief is as to what the coaching search actually consisted of the last time Georgetown was looking to fill their spot. I know that a lot of fans were clamoring for Dan Hurley. I don't know enough about him to have a strong opinion and I was not paying attention to Rhode Island in a huge way. So now that he's in the conference, it will be interesting to see how he does with that brand. I'm not even going to say historic brand because they're basically like a 95 cents kind of kind of program as far as, you know, big success. I do think I do think Willard is up there and I follow a lot of different college basketball Twitter accounts and beat reporters and stuff. And I think a couple of weeks ago there was talk of or there, there wasn't talk, but there was a tweet of, you know, and some Seton Hall fans want Willard out of here. And I mean, to me, it's just like, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, like if you want to get rid of this guy, who do you think you are? So I guess it's all it's all a matter of perspective and what point of time you're looking at something. If you looked at what Willard's done at Seton Hall, if I had told you in 2010, probably not that impressed, right? But in 2020, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, sign me up for, you know, that kind of, you know, lack of success if that's what you want to frame it as, having a Big East tournament and, you know, multiple successive um, bids to the NCAA tournament. But I'm pretty high on Kevin Willard. And I think he's also he's also a refreshing quote post-game. So, John, you were not here. Uh, I think this is our third podcast at Kente Corner in the last couple of days, and that's because we had the post-game for St. John's Pardue, and then Aminu Muhammad chose Georgetown, which, honestly, I paid so little attention to his recruitment because I just, you know, over the past, I've spent so much time, you know, between actually following recruits and doing message board stuff and Twitter stuff, and I just thought, look, I don't have, I, this guy's not coming here. He's not. And then the family, we were about to take a walk. We, Even though it's freezing up here, we're still walking the dog. And I said, oh, you know, there's a Facebook Live in two minutes. Let me just watch this. And he did what he did. And I was like, holy hell, we got to do a pod. So you weren't here. Reaction, first of all, how much did you pay attention to the recruitment? Did, like me, did you watch a high school kid that you have no attachment to make an announcement on Facebook? And number three, what do you think this means? <laughs> uh, first of all, I think judging by the framed jersey, Aminu Muhammad has committed to join the Hoya Kids Club. So congrats <laughs> to Aminu. I don't know if he's aged out of that yet, but I think he gets to go on the court and shoot free throws after a game next year. Okay. Um, so good on, good on him. By the way, they should, I honestly, like, if I, don't, if I don't get some sort of, like, online content from DePaul, and if that DePaul jersey isn't hanging up in Laytel's office, we're doing something wrong here. I, I I I follow recruiting sort of in the it's in it's in the, the it's on the back burner. I'm certainly not like diving just, full, full just to uh, yeah. just to age us. I think one of the recruitments that I never really followed, but I just remember from all my time as a message board guy. Uh-huh. I, I feel like Roscoe Smith was a ridiculous recruitment. Ah, yeah. And I want to say, was it Latavius Thomas? Thomas is that was that his name? Uh, Latavius Williams. Did he end up Williams. playing for Memphis? Am I making that up? That sounds like a guy who would play for Memphis. 
I feel like there was a lot of back and forth. I feel like there was a lot of like, there were certain posters that were claiming that Roscoe Smith was, I mean, there were, I just, over the years, there's been so many just ridiculous recruiting stories. And oftentimes the player you look back and you can't believe that you were losing your mind over, over that. Nerland's Noel was at a time when I was actually covering Georgetown for one of six, seven and Georgetown was, you know, at that point, a pretty big program nationally, as far as, you know, rankings and everything that they were involved in. That was to me, a pretty crushing blow. I'm not sure I've totally recovered from it to take recruiting seriously. So, and you know, that being said, when so the, wait, when the talk kid, about New Orleans for a second, well, I'll just say when the kids are local and I can go to a WCAC game, particularly Paul the sixth, cause I live in Fairfax, although they, they just moved their campus to Loudon, but like, you know, that's cool. But when the, when, when it's, when it's out of town guys, it's hard for me to really get crazy about it. <laughs> My New Orleans story is, um, when Nerlens was on, I don't know if it was his official official visit or just one visit he took to campus, it was on the day of one of our uh, NCAA selection show parties back when we were having those in Leo's. Oh, that um, was the 2012. Totally. I think it was 13 because this is where the story is going. Because um, it, it was 2013, so it was that selection show. But I ended up What's rather that? randomly sitting next to Nerlens and I think his guardian, mom, guardian, whoever it was that was with him for a good like half hour, 45 minutes of this. Like I was very aware of who he like, not that I follow recruiting that closely, but I would recognize Nerland's Noel if I sat next to him in Leo's, right? And so what a cursed afternoon that was. Yeah, no, I don't no, follow him. He, uh, was the sixth pick in the 2013 draft. Was it 13? Okay. So yeah, because 13. that's why it was so crushing he didn't come because you would have had a team preseason, we expect. That would have been a team with, with Otto, oh. with, with Winnington, and Noel. Who would have scored against that team, right? Like... Oh, huh. so, okay. So, thir- so 12 and not 13. Yeah. I'm, the one thing I do remember, New Orleans getting hurt that year. And, and yeah. Kentucky, that makes sense. Because Kentucky, I think, was in the 2014 Final Four. I think that who can, UConn beat neither the final yeah. or the semifinal that year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they were in the NIT the previous year, the, the one year New Orleans played because he got hurt. And that was when they lost to uh, Robert Morris in the NIT. Right. Um, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And recruiting is sort of it, it, it's back burner stuff like I'm, I'm of course generally aware of you know the, the big guys that georgetown's talking but i'm not reading you know the the, the websites message boards any of the the, the pay stuff out there and I, 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 i'm aware that it's all very good stuff especially a lot of the stuff like that ron bailey puts out and some other folks put out but yeah ron ron does a great job yeah he's ron's been around forever he's amazing but yes i'm of course aware of you know aminu muhammad and knew a little bit about him and i knew the announcement was coming up i'm not sitting on Facebook Live or Periscope or whatever watching this. It's sort of a, like, I kind of generally knew when the announcement was, I'll, I'll figure that out when it happens kind of thing. But, Mike, yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. If, like, this felt like one, from the limited amount that I do know of the recruitment, felt like one that was kept fairly close to the vest. Um, those do tend to work out a little better for Georgetown. Um, yes. I don't know if folks felt like it was a bit of an upset, maybe because, you know, the, the sort of the, the group thinker hurting of the, the crystal balls all went George's way, according to what you guys were talking about on the podcast. Before, they did, yeah. That good things just don't happen to Georgetown lately in recruiting, but it was nice to have a positive surprise. It, it's sort of an unambiguous good thing. And I think, you know, Nolan on your pod the other day mentioned the comment he made on Twitter that, you know, given where the program was at the really almost at the beginning of this pandemic, actually, I remember listening to the pod 
really early on in the pandemic when you guys were talking about wood with Android, I think would Mac leave or not, and they did. For them to go you know, like seven, eight months ago from that to be able to do what they've done with the recruiting class, you know, keeping, you know, Beard on board and then recruiting Jordan Riley and, and Ryan Matumbo and now Aminu Muhammad. I, I complain about the staff a lot and there's a lot of things to complain about, but this this year of recruiting is, is not one of them. This was unambiguous good job by all of them. Absolutely. So you were not on the Facebook Live. That is an affirmative. <laughs> how did you fi- how did you find out? I checked my phone at some point. I was I was so in Twitter, around... or Twitter, uh, casual yeah, Hoya talk. Twitter, yeah. No, it was Twitter. Like I, I just got on my Twitter account. I was in and around making dinner probably that night and figured it out. I mean, it's not that hard. Uh-huh. You refresh, refresh your feed and oh look, they're saying nice things about the program. Um, <laughs> it is. So it is nice to see that. Exactly. Do you think? And this is a question I asked the guys the other night, so I'm going to ask you: <laughs> Do you think that this changes the expectations for next year? Because I think most people felt like, okay, year four is year one again. And when Ewing came in, the expectation was by year three, you know, this should probably be an NCAA tournament team. So next year is going to be year two, even though it's year five. With who's coming in, and we have no idea who's going to stay, obviously, because literally everybody could stay, theoretically, even the seniors. Do you think that this pushes that up? It's the honest answer is that it's hard to say. But no that's idea. why you get paid the big bucks. Uh, I, I what now? I've been getting those checks. Um, just because we never <laughs> finished the bracket. No, it, I think, you know, from what I was reading on online, you know, the reaction from, from George Johnson, maybe for, for me, and I'm a little more of a pessimist by nature, maybe yeah. people are getting a little too high on their own supply here. I will say what, what is true, it should raise the expectations to the, to the degree that it matters. What matters, I think, to me in building a successful program is you absolutely need talent on the roster. And you do need some high-end talent on the roster. With very few exceptions, that's the pathway. We can talk, for instance, with Villanova about you know, the adjustments that Jay Wright made to their culture and their system over the years in the early 2010s that got them to now two national titles. But at the end of the day, what's enabling all that stuff to work is they've got high-end talent on the court. Your Archie Diaconos, or Chefus, Jalen Brunson, you name it, these are top 100, even top 50, top 25 level recruits. They have good players. You know, Chris Jenkins, maybe like a three-star-ish player like a Chris Jenkins, you, you build up into something, you know, really good through your system, but you got to have the high-end talent. And so, so let me actually, let me, let, me, let me ask you this. Well, so right now, if I can so stay right, on, yeah, if ahead. I can stay on Jay Wright for just one second, it's in, it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, as obviously, you know, being in the media here, we get a chance to see him at least once a year, possibly you know twice a year. And in a time far away, they used to do Big East media calls. Well, maybe they'll they'll get back to that where you have a chance to ask you know any question, or you, you can you can talk to any coach. He doesn't have to be actually you know here. But anyway, one of the things Jay Wright because you know before. He had, you know, Villanova had been successful before their current run of top dog type team. But he talks about, and I don't know if it was me or Ben or somebody asked him, you know, how did you end up flipping the switch or not flipping the switch, but how did you end up turning things around? Mm-hmm. And I say that it was only one year that they missed the tournament. They missed the tournament in 2012. 
And, you know, how did you kind of get things rolling, you know, again? And one of the things he talks about, I'm looking here at their Ken Palm page, in 2013, they were a 9C. They lost in the first round to uh, North Carolina. But he talks about getting back in the tournament in 2013. They were 19 and 12, 10 and 8, you know, heading into the Big East tournament. They go to the Big East tournament. They beat St. John's. They lose to number one Louisville. You know, kind of what what you're sort of expected to do, and not, not like going there and losing to St. John's, and they they might have been off the bubble, right? You know, like 2014 Hoyas kind of did that. Where yeah, I wonder, like, who, I wonder if the 2013 Villanova Wildcats beat right near the end of the season to help their bubble case. Okay, they did. I was actually at that game, but anyway, he talks about the importance of you know getting to that tournament, and he'd already taken this school to the Final Four. You know, so it's not yeah. like so. One of the things that really really helps, and he's answer that question multiple times and he always gives that answer so in relation to georgetown now since you're listening to kente corner with uh, bobby bancroft and florida hoya is that you get that five star you get a really good class and that's awesome but you do need some success as a team and while it might not be fair to have a team led by a lot of freshmen but it would be so big to get to that tournament, even if you go and just lose. I mean, at this point, Georgetown fans would be, you know, throwing a parade just to get to the tournament. Um, so I think that the expectations, particularly with getting this five-star and having Matumbo coming in, I think finding a way to get to the tournament as an eight, nine, ten seed, whatever, would be really big for the program. Not necessarily what you do when you get there, but getting there. And I know this because that's what Jay Wright said. <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree. I don't. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with Jay Wright, the Dapper Don of the Big East. By the way, yeah. his, his his like hoodie combination during our game really swell. Um, almost better than the suits. I love it. Um, you still got it. Like all the system stuff, where you to get to that term, to get over that hump, you got to have some some talent, and it's not a foolproof thing, right? Just accumulating talent is not going to do it on its own. It is why not. I'm a little skeptical, right? Because you can right. have a lot of high-ranked players in the team and it doesn't work or the coaching isn't up to par or the mixture isn't right. But you're going to give yourself a better chance if you're putting good high-end talent on the court. Now, to, to the point of it's not a given, somebody actually asked on, on Hoya Talk, and I think John Reagan might have answered it actually, what was the last time Georgetown had like a really good like compilation of like top 100 kind of talent. And so you, 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 you followed recruiting for a, a time in your career, Bobby. So, you know, the RSCI index, right? Yeah. 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 So there's the recruiting index, you know, it's an index of several, you know, whatever the recruiting service rankings of the day are, and it's an average ranking, right? So it gets used a lot. Um, the last time Georgetown had seven players on the roster that were RSCI top 100 recruits was the 2015-16 season which was the first of two consecutive losing seasons in JT3's career. Yeah. And I mean, you go through the list of guys who there are, who are on that list of the seven players. It's, it's LJ Peak, Jesse Govan, Marcus Erickson, DSR, Isaac Copeland, Reggie Cameron, Paul White. Different kind of guys who had different kind of experiences at Georgetown. Some stayed around, some didn't, some panned out, some didn't. But you can see, you know, just accumulating talent isn't the only thing. It has to but, fit. But, but, you know, the fit's there too. But I mean, Previous year, they had eight players. That's the last time we made the tournament. The last time we made the tournament, there were eight top 100 players on the roster, right? The 2011-12 team, the first team of the Otto Porter class, also eight top 100 guys on the roster. And again, not everybody has a great career. Not everybody sticks around the whole time, but that matters. You know, to sort of undermine my point further, 
The team that went to the Final Four only had three players. Now, I would argue, if you really if you dug down deep, I'm sure Jeff Green and Roy Hibbert were close-ish. Um, but they had a really great system that was perfectly tailored. Like, you can get there with a really great system in coaching like we had in 2006 if the talent isn't all the way up there. Wait to- a minute. Let me. I'm, I'm trying to guess the players on that 2015 20- like My guess before. is... My so my so Josh Smith obviously gets there a different way. I'm guessing he was a yeah. top guy. Yeah, he, so my question think, was going to be. I think Smith's be probably, probably like a like a like a like a five star, right? Smith. Yeah, yeah my question to you before was going to be so for me, okay. Muhammad. Right now in the 24 seven composite, he is I think 16 or 18 is 16. Yeah. If he stays in the top 20, he's going to be the fifth player who was in the top 20 to play for Georgetown at some point since the year 2000. That's the level of recruit you're getting here. The level of talent you're getting. There's only been he's only going to be the fifth guy in 20 years of that level. So you just named Josh Smith, which I thought was the one nobody was going to get. So who else is on that list? There's four, three other guys since 2000. Since so 2000. I, I think Sweetney. No, nah, he wasn't that high. We're going top 20 or top doesn't matter. Top, top 20. Top 20 guys. Since 2000, yeah. top 20 guys. So Monroe. Yeah, Greg Monroe is the highest rate. Copeland's close. He was close. Yeah, he's in the top 30. What was Summers? Summers was 26. He was close too. Same class as Summers was one of them. Oh, Macklin. Yeah, Vernon Macklin. That was the first time when I was just like, okay. I think Vernon that you're going to be big picket Macklin. For me, that was kind of the first time where I thought, okay, JT three, I get what you're doing, but I think you need to recruit to the way you want to play because it didn't make any sense to have him at the top of the key. Right. Well, so, so, so and, and Austin Freeman is the last one, by the way. Um, but that's the point that level of high end talent, you're not getting at Georgetown that often. Right, so it's 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 something important. You know, Ryan Matumbo is just is is, is towards the bottom ish of the twenty four seven composite top hundred. But you're going to have two guys coming into the new class that are top one hundred guys. Maybe Jordan Riley and, and, and Beard are, are close ish to the top one hundred, but that that little boost of talent matters because right now on the roster, there's only one guy. Ticket's the only guy. Ticket. He's like eighty five or something. Yeah, he's the only top one hundred guy, and I mean that's that's what we're talking about when we say there's not a lot of talent on this roster. You know, recruiting wise, I mean, again, recruiting rankings aren't the be all end all, but they mean something. They don't come out of nowhere. And there's a combination right now. This team of like, there's not a lot of high end talent, and the coaching, honestly, if I'm being honest, not that great. This is why you get results like you get tonight. So the, the the best case scenario for this season was always going to be. Like everybody knew this season really doesn't matter for a variety of reasons, not least which is this team was not going anywhere. But if you could get some meaningful game experience for the, particularly the freshman players, and to some degree that is happening. And if you could establish some sort of culture or some sort of system that was providing value added, I'm not sure we're there yet. And you could recruit a good batch of talent for next year when you had a lot of spots available that could set the stage where, okay, for the first time, maybe Patrick Ewing next year comes into a season with maybe, I don't know if it's the same level of talent as the year Akinjo and LeBlanc and McClung arrived, but you're at least getting close to that range. And that, by the way, was a nine and nineteen. That was close to the NCAA tournament. 
that that's yeah. sort of in my mind around where I think you might be able to get with next year's team. Like that sort of area where and the thing with those kind of teams with like the, the, the attention of the Kong LeBlanc first year, some good wins. Yes. Incredibly inconsistent. You'd win a good, pretty much every good game that team won, every great game that team won, the next game would be a terrible loss. You just never, you didn't have the, the consistency. And it's going to be an extremely young team next year. We don't know who's going to stick around, but I mean, let's assume the guys who are seniors or grad seniors leave. It's going to be a really young team again next year. You're going to probably have to expect some sort of level of inconsistency too. But yeah. you're building up the talent level. And that was always, that's always going to be the interesting experiment, you know? how much the the coaching staff's you know performance improve with the talent level can you can you raise one level and does it does it offset enough some weaknesses in the coaching staff the the real interesting thing is that we're in year 4 with this staff together and there's actually only <laughs> we really only have two data points to look to in how players progress because yeah. outside of Pickett and Blair, pretty much everybody's left. And I yeah. think for I think for Pickett, obviously a good player. I think for Blair, you've seen a lot of progress. It he did kind of, you know, his minutes went back when you brought in those guards, right? He was all freshman Big East guy. And then a lot, you know, a lot of that, a lot of all Big East freshmen is on just did they play, right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. you know. So there's been a lot of very good players in the Big East that haven't made all freshmen because they were on good teams and they didn't play a whole lot. You know, Blair played a whole lot and he did well. I averaged about, I think, 10 points his freshman year. And mo- more times than not, that's going to get you on the Big East all-freshman team, which sure. I think Dante Harris has a really good chance of being on that team if, uh, depending on how long Jalen's out for, if these minutes are going to be – how long did, did Dante go today? Dante went 31 minutes, which yeah. – I think you're going to see him average at least that many. But, um, you know, right now you can only kind of look to Pickett and Blair when you say, how can the staff, you know, develop players? And that's kind of the only two guys we have, which is, you know, you can look at other guys, but they're all around the yeah. country. Antoine Walker. I mean, you could go on and on. There's there's a lot of guys. Yeah. But, yeah, you're, I, you're right. So here's the issue with talent, too. I think you could argue that so part of developing, I think you could argue that Jamarco Pickett and Javon Blair have done things in their four years here, and even you know year to year each year, to improve their game somewhat. Right, they're they're better players than they were as freshmen. They have, they have improved. They've improved, improved at least a little bit. On the macro level, the problem with the development of the program as a whole is a good program does not have those two guys as the primary option. There there needs to be way more talent on the roster. Javon Blair should never in a million years be shouldering the kind of load he is. That is a, a structural problem with our talent retention. There's a structural problem with program management that you're in a position where he's got to carry so much alone. Nothing against him. Again, and Pickett, too. They have improved his players. I think at some level, like, they're being asked to do too much this year, and you're seeing the ceiling of their games. Like, Jamarco is something like, what is he in the past three games? It's like eight for 32. It's like, it's, it's, it's not great. And I think a lot of it is just he's, he's being compelled to take some shots that honestly, like he's, that's what we have to take. And it's, it's, they're not great shots, but it is what it is. And Javon's had to put up a ton of stuff. And I think it's just working his ass off, but yes, with more talent on the roster and also better distributed talent, that's going to help. Right. Also helps that Amina Muhammad's probably known probably more for his defense right now. 
would yeah. love to have a guy who can defend on the wing or defend at the two spot. Would love it. Yeah. And since I'm I'm one of the founding members of Blair Island last year, <laughs> it is kind of a shame that we're not gonna probably see him play a lot of minutes with a with a really veteran uh established yeah. point guard because basically his freshman year you didn't have it sophomore year his minutes went down you know yeah. last year when akinjo was there he wasn't playing a whole lot and then you know the rest of the year i guess i guess you did see it with with allen but i would like because i think his game has improved like there was a time where i would not want javon blair to freestyle off the bounce and he's become much more of, I mean, tonight, not exactly. Seven of his 11 shots were from deep. But there was a time where Javon Blair might have a line of, you know, four for 12, and he was three for 11 from deep, you know. And, yeah, you know, so but, he's become, he has become better. I guess I would like to see him in a, you know, in a world where he's just running off screens rather than having to do a little right. more than that. You, you want him, like... Just, I'm going to take it back to my era now. I know we like doing that on this podcast. We um, do. We do. It's encouraged. Take it back to my era. Just, it's just a bit of like the Gerald Riley effect, though, where Gerald Riley, I'd have to go back and look at how, what his points per game was his senior year in 2004. He had a lot. He had a lot of points per game. He had a few 30 point games for sure. But is it a good thing for your program if Gerald Riley is the guy who has to shoulder the, the scoring load? Whereas now Gerald started his freshman year, as I recall. But he's in a he's yeah, on a starting but that was a, with, that was a really deep team. Right, you're in a starting lineup with Kevin Braswell and Demetrius Hunter and Mike Sweeney and Ruben Boomshay Boomshay, and you've got Cortland Freeman and Anthony Perry and Matt Burton off the bench. Like you, um, did you, you, you forget you, my favorite player? Who's your favorite player? Scruggs. Lee Scruggs. Yes, how could you forget Lee Scruggs? Right, there <laughs> is he's he's only got to be the fifth option in the starting lineup, and arguably there's other options off the bench who are experienced. Too, Burton and Do you want Scott me to read to Riley's per year average? Yeah, give it to me. And by the way, Gerald Riley never came off the bench in his four-year career of 125 games. Love it. Okay, so 6.7 as a frosh, 10.3 sophomore, 14.1 junior, 17 as a senior. Yeah, it's not like Gerald couldn't score, but the problem was his senior year, there, there wasn't a whole lot else that could score on that roster. So he's carrying a lot of load there. His three-point numbers actually went down as a senior. He was improving every year to a 42% yeah, shooter as a junior. And then my guess is he just had to take a bunch of shots he probably didn't want to. I th- maybe it's just, I'm probably being too harsh on, on Javon specifically here. Like What Javon has done to improve his, his game over four years I think is, is, is good. Oh yeah, and the skill set that he has now is is fine. If you weren't like essentially the first or second scoring option, a lot of time he's out there. If he's your like fourth or fifth option, or he's a guy who could do a lot of catch and shoots because he's got other guys around that can create for him, or you can get an inside out out of the post. He looks really great, um, and that's a great team. But when it's when it's a team that doesn't quite yet have the guy who can create offense off the dribble on his own and set guys like Blair up, and when honestly. Wahab is still a little bit too much of a black hole when he gets the ball in the post to you know, kick out for good opportunities. It's still Javon having to do too much, and you're getting, you get some inefficient stat lines, which is maybe not his fault necessarily. He's got to shoulder the load, but that's part of building a program and getting talented, is that you're going to have guys who 
can offer you different things, can, you know, maybe create off the bounce, and maybe on the other end we can defend a little better as a team. It, it improves things. Now, the challenge is going to be you may not have the senior Javon Blair, the senior Javon Pickett, depending, or Marco Pickett, rather, they choose not to come back, so you may not have the guys who can shoulder the load, you know, with some other guys around. It's not as much a burden on them. I, it's, I'm fascinated to see how it works because I am very excited about the overall count they're bringing in because I think Riley and Beard probably aren't too far off the top 100, and they're going to provide some very specific skill sets that are going to be super helpful. So it's fascinating to see how it's going to work out, but um, maybe not if I'm not skeptical, I'm cautious. I tell you two things that I'm very, I guess I can't say I'm upset, but two things I'm going to miss from this holiday season. Uh, Georgetown related, you know, obviously there's a million things that are not going great right now, but just, you know, if this had been a normal year and Georgetown had been playing basketball, um, a couple of the things we're, we're missing. I know that you are, or at least I, I know that you were at one point a season ticket holder. You might still be. The Eastern High School band usually steps in and dicks a handful uh-huh. of games. Yeah. Which I think their band is incredible. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. You know, unfortunately for them, when they're doing it, the games are usually, you know, not they're <laughs> the games are usually very sparsely attended, even for Georgetown standards, because yeah. it's during the break and they're against teams that aren't particularly interesting for fans. And also, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I know that you know all of this stuff as well. Uh, and now that I've got turning my son into a fan, I think at least, of course, I think the jury's still out. This is usually the time of year where all the mascots get together and you kind of <laughs> remember that avoid the Noid is still a thing. Sure. And they, they play like one of the more, one of the more interesting games of basketball during a halftime. Doesn't that usually happen around, around this time? It feels like it does. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's usually, you know, they, they get, you kind of have like your, mainstream mascots if you will you know you know the wizards and the caps and dc united usually you get the raven and the oriole then you'll get like some kind of like second tier you know maybe like i think the richmond squirrels mascot was represented recently i think my son got an autograph from him last (laughs) year and then like i said avoid the noid which i don't know how long ago that campaign was used there might have been a comeback recently i can't remember but those are those are two things and also I know that this kind of divides the fan base, much like the title blue uniforms, but uh, the guy that comes out and does the t-shirt Gatling gun, whatever you want to call it, usually finds his way into an interesting wardrobe selection. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Georgetown still has a sponsorship deal with, with, with party city. Let me know that, that the guy who does that, by the way, is a part of our season ticket group. He's just actually sit right behind me when, uh, Cool. You're still done in 118, but yeah, no, he's we still all we've moved to a different section, but he uh, he still sits with us. Yeah, had okay. There's, there's just some good stories. I can't, I won't tell, can't tell, but there's some good stories that have to do with that. But yeah, I know that the uh, yeah the Gatling gun, love that, love the Eastern High School band, all the random holiday traditions. My first game at the uh, going to a game at the MCI Center was around the holidays. It was like the last day before I left on. Uh, Christmas break my freshman year. I had actually pretty badly sprained my ankle the night before. Dunking um, or something? Let's say dunking. Sure. <laughs> and I uh, ended up having to, uh, I, I really should have had that checked out at the hospital actually, but uh, I'm not going to miss my first game at the MCI center. I'm going down there. That was the, uh, the one twenty three. like South Alabama? No, Howard. Oh, I Howard can't game. remember. Great game. Um, I feel like they played South Alabama early. I don't know. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I uh, hobbled my ass down there and uh, wearing a sandal because I couldn't get my foot into a shoe. Uh, that was fun. One more thing I want to talk about. Um, have you started reading I Came as a Shadow? I have not, and I attempted, I attempted to get it, and they didn't have it yet. Ah, yeah. Now, my, uh, my wife and I realized that neither of us had gotten it for the other for Christmas, so we just bought it for ourselves. It was a nice early Christmas present. Where? From, uh, let's stop Amazon. Okay. It is, I think if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you have the book or are getting the book for Christmas. Real quick, did you read the big man? On, did you read big man on campus? You know, uh, funny enough, I have the book. I, I picked it up at a used book sale, I think, or my wife may have some time ago and it's sitting on a, a shelf. Downstairs. I have not read it. I know it, it's a weird oversight on my part. Okay. Um, but so if you, but you know, if you are listening to this podcast, it's probably either coming to you in a day or two, or it's come to you during Hanukkah or you are already done reading it. Um, it is, a, it's a terrific read. It's a fascinating read. There are what what, what it, you know, there's some story. You know, some stories that we know about about Poppy. I, I will caveat this by saying I'm only partially through the book right now. Um, I actually pages? stopped. Is it? I, uh, I feel like it's about 300 pages or so. I'm about a third of the way through. Actually, I'm up to the chapter called Patrick. So it's right as John Thompson is about to recruit Patrick Ewing. But there's so many. There's so much detail in this book that gives you, and John Thompson, or the, 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 the writer who wrote it, I, I wish I had the book in front of me. I'm short shifting the guy who actually helped write the book. Um, Jesse but, Washington. Uh, yes, thank you. I, was, I knew of Washington. I couldn't remember his first name. Actually, explicitly, we'll say like, this is, yeah, like, this is why I do things the way I do. This is why I'm like this. And there are so many great stories from coaches, you know, growing up, you know, growing up in, in DC, his, his family out in, in St. Mary's County, you know, really important teachers in his life. You know, I, I wrote down a quote about um, one of his elementary school teachers, uh, his name's Samantha Jackson, and then he writes about her, that, that she cared enough about me as a person not to make assumptions based on what things looked like from the outside. And he tells a story about how he actually had to be held back in the sixth grade, but his teacher, so as not to like upset him or to not make it a, a, a big thing, would find other things for him to be doing while there were graduation activities going on, try not to basically get him made fun of and try to lessen the blow of it. And he talks about how that influenced in some ways, and he talks about how some other things when he was playing for the Celtics with Red Auerbach too, how that influenced how he dealt with players as a coach and how he was so protective of his players. And this idea of, and he talks about it several times in the opening, you know, several chapters of the book about not letting other people define you or you basically like tell you who you are and how that really influences in a lot of ways that you can already see in the early chapters about him running the program at Georgetown, how he ran the program at Georgetown. Yeah. Um, I, the one time, the one time so far in the book, by the way, I, I openly laughed out loud while reading the book is he talks about how he got into, he talked about how it was his dad actually that uh, started from his, when he was younger, his dad actually started his love for slot machines. I, I openly laughed when I was reading the part about the slot. Machine. I mean, it's hard not to laugh at that. But it is, it's a, uh, you know, I'm a hundred pages in it. It really is a tremendous book and you get a lot of insight into basically like where all of Pops's philosophy came from. And it's really a tremendous read and it's really insightful. I mean, it, it's actually some, some surprising sort of things where certain things came from. Um, you know, the wearing a towel on his shoulder was a tribute to his mother. He, she wore a towel on her shoulder when she was cooking in the kitchen. 
the deflated basketball, the original deflated basketball was a gag gift when he left his, his uh, when he got the job at Georgetown, he had to leave. He had a side job while he was working at Archbishop Carroll. He had a side job with the city and they had a going away party for him and they gave him the deflated basketball as a gag gift. And the, the story behind, you know, the story that goes with the deflated basketball came later, but that's how he originally acquired the, the original deflated basketball. So really, really fun, really fun stuff like that. Super insightful. I, I will acknowledge I, I skipped ahead and read a few pages here and there from, from certain chapters that deal with more contemporary events. And so, you know, a lot of Georgetown fans have strong opinions about the more contemporary events in the program. And so it's going to be interesting when I read that, how I, how I, how I engage with that and, uh, you know, hearing, uh, having heard a page or two worth of Pops' perspective on that. Um, going to be a fascinating read. I actually can't wait to get back and read. We're starting with the Ewing era the next time I pick this book up, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Well, he does, he does openly admit, by the way, he stopped he stopped scheduling American and GW because he didn't have anything to gain by scheduling American and GW, so that was, that was fun. Yeah, I think I might have guessed that. <laughs> can I, can I, by the way, I glanced earlier this week, can I, I, I want to apologize. Can I get off of the Jimmy and Christian bandwagon. Um, I, I've made a horrible mistake. Um, so it's not going well for him this year at GW. They've lost a lot of close games, but uh, oh boy. Yeah, I must say that I was definitely on the Christian bandwagon as well. And I'll tell you what my mindset was or what my, I mean, okay, I'm looking at them. They're one and six. They lost to Liam and Mary in overtime. My thought behind that was Georgetown became. Georgetown as we know it because they took a chance on a young head coach. Now, obviously not many young head coaches are going to end up like John Thompson Jr. Okay. But my idea, and it's not, I don't know enough about Jamie and Kristen to be, you know, to put my money on it. And that's obviously why you've got, you know, athletic directors, uh, you know, coaching search, you know, firms and all the, all these different things. But it was not necessarily Jamie and Christian for me. It was sort of the idea of find the best young coach that, you know, after interviews and all these different, you know, all the, you know, the vetting and all that stuff. To me, that seemed the way without completely derailing this conversation and going on and on and on about that. But I definitely, I'd been around him enough. He's very, He's got that VCU energy to him. Uh, if you've ever been in a VCU post game or pregame or any kind of, you know, dealing with that crew, starting with Shaka and he was part of that tree for a second, it's hard not to like them as far as they're just, they've got that charisma. And Jamie and Christian has that. Whether he becomes successful at GW, I don't know. You know, maybe he left Siena a little too quick where we don't really have enough. Mm tape on him if that makes sense he did move up a level and then he moved up another level quicker and obviously gw has been you know since lonergan left is just it's just kind of been just a complete mess right so i don't know if it's you know i I don't know if he's if he's not the guy but that was at least my thinking because i know i'm on record on this podcast previous ones and uh stuff like that of feeling like he was probably if you're gonna go young and up and coming he did seem like a decent a decent option without knowing all the options that are out there. But yeah. Yeah. You never know, man. All right. Before we get out of here, it's uh it's Festivus. 
Um, we are recording, by the time you hear this, we're recording this at like 9-ish, 9.15 on a, on a Wednesday night. Christmas uh, Eve, Eve. Yeah, Festivus. If you get out of here, uh, Bobby, 10 o'clock on the West Coast uh, version of TBS, they have the, uh, the Festivus episode of Seinfeld, The Strike is on. Okay. Um, kind of early. Do you have a favorite Seinfeld episode, by the way? Man, that's a really hard question. Hard I mean, yes. Do you have yours? Yeah, the Cheever letters. But yeah, I just pointed out it's Festivus. Um, I know, I know the uh, the Thompson Towel people are the uh, the formerly twenty four seven people who are doing uh, the airing of grievances today. Anyway. I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> um, man, we've covered so much non game stuff. It'd probably really? be silly. It'd probably be silly. It'd be silly to go back to it, but there is one thing that I wrote down that I want to talk about. And if you're still listening, you're going to have to hear it. So one of the things I try and come up with every game is when I knew the game was over. And as I've gotten older, it's not really to just, you know, kind of bleed all over the internet with sarcasm and snark. And, you know, that's, 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 that's for the younger generation. You kind of go in stages, I think. So I'm not, I'm not doing that you know, criticizing every little thing. Although I definitely, you know, anyway. So when the game was over for me and think if you can go back to this point in the game. So it's 28, 17 Georgetown's played pretty awful offensively, but they're in the game, right? Uh It's college basketball. They've got the ball down 11. It's kind of a semi break. Harris gets called for an offensive foul. Okay. Seton hall ball. Come down, bang a three, 30-17. Next possession, pick it off the dribble, offensive foul. Seton Hall comes down, misses a shot, rebound. Misses a shot, rebound. And on the third bite, they bang another three. And now it's 30, I'm sorry, it's a two. Now it's 33-17. So you had a chance to maybe cut it to 28-20. 2819, you know, maybe get another stop. The next thing you know, it's 3317. And for me, that was when this game was over. Do you have a this game is over? I know we haven't talked about the game in probably at least 20 minutes. <laughs> Did- well, the problem here is we have we have context and we have history. Yeah. Um, we've seen we've seen only a little bit of this team so far, you know, seven games or so right now, but we've seen Three plus years of the Ewing era, some latter era JT3. We've seen some road games. We've seen some performances. If you want me to be entirely honest, and I'm being kind of brutally honest, don't do this. Was, don't do when the schedule came out. Come on. No, no, I'm not doing that. But I, okay. I feel like I'm the Eeyore of this podcast. You bring me on for the losses. I'm like Mr. You know, sadness bracket, right? <laughs> um, I'm being I'm being brutally honest here, um, and this is informed by history and precedent, and so what we've seen so far from this team and previous teams it was at the under 16 media timeout of the first half when they were that's, when I, that's about when i turned it on seen this exact performance from them half a dozen to ten half a dozen to a dozen times in the past few years you knew the exact plot this game was going to take like I, I i hate to be so pessimistic and so sour but like this was incredibly clear in the first four minutes where this game was going but there was just there was no way had i not been coming on this podcast honestly i might have quit watching it at halftime um, really like what, yeah, what would no, you have no, done no. I don't know. It's the holidays. They probably have like coquito or a mixed drink. I'm not sure. Yeah, but you can do that while you're watching. That might make it more enjoyable. Uh, no, Bobby, I've been doing this for 20 years. It doesn't. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm right there with no, you. But I mean, like, I mean, you saw like the kind of the, the, the there were several like three or three or four turnovers in the first four minutes too, and the type of turnovers and the 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 quality or the lack of quality of shots that they were getting. It was very evident early on. It's not like Seton Hall was doing anything like tremendous or like different defensively, but just the quality of shots we were taking. It's like, yeah. The third, by the way, there were th- I mentioned at the top of the podcast, there were three things I had down of like things I was going to watch for this game. One of them was was Mama Kishvili, Mamukalishvili. I think I got that. Second was basically like what percentage of Seton Hall shots were three pointers. It was a slightly higher than normal average for them, but nothing crazy. The third thing was essentially like. In so many words, this team seemed to have it tonight. They seemed to care. And that was going to be like the energy level, loose balls, communicating on defense, you know, and just the quality of shots in the first, like even four minutes of the game. It's like, yeah, they just, I don't know if Seton Hall is just that, that, that good, just rolling it out on defense, but just it was not going to be anything tonight. They had seven points at the under eight. Um, so, yeah, that's just okay. not. Not gonna do it. So when I, like I said, when I flipped it on, I got home, and then it was just really important to my life. We have a bunch of lights outside, inflatables. You know, I got the whole kid thing. You know, so it was really important to me that I made sure Frosty was upright, which requires not just flipping on the power, but there's some actual attention he needs based on where he blew during the night and all that stuff. Anyway, so. If I'd run home and run immediately to my basement, I probably could have made it for tip. But that wasn't working. I had to get my outdoor decorations up and going. Okay. Anyway, so I come downstairs, I flip it on, I get everything going, and I hear Jim Jackson say, and it's not just the turnovers, it's the kind of turnovers that, you know, are like (laughs) uh, a pick six or whatever. And I'm like, oh, God, the camera is on Georgetown's bench. I'm like, this is great. We can actually see the bench this game. And they're wearing title blue. And then, like, based on how DirecTV does it, it takes a second for, like, the bottom to go away. So I couldn't see the score yet. Hmm. I was like, oh, it's only 6 nothing. That's not that bad. So what were the actual turnovers? I missed it. There was, yeah, there was, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go back and remember, there was Carrie traveled okay. early well, on. I feel like somebody the points. There's an offensive foul in there. There was a bad pass turnover. It was okay. it was the quality shots guys were getting. You're, you're talking like long twos, early offense, like not on a fast break. It's 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 it's, it's the normal bad stuff you'd expect when the team isn't doing well so far this year. But you you know going back to the last couple of years of JP3 in road games especially, this is this is from a template. Again, you've seen this half a dozen, a dozen or more times. You know, in the first four to eight minutes, and I've gotten pretty good at this over the past several years, and I'm sure many of you listening have too. When it starts like this, it ain't getting better. So maybe you give it to like the halftime if you're lucky, or maybe the under four, and you're like, you know what? Mixed drinks. It's, it's, it's just I, you know, it's, it's I think it's just it's experience. Like we've we've seen this before. There's going to be games. There's going to be plenty of games this year where they just don't have it, and they're going to be like this. But unfortunately, I don't know if we have a lot of precedent for games where they start off really slow like this on the road in the Big East of the past five, six years, and they they make a game of it. Usually, what you see is what you get right away. You, you got you got to slow down with the uh, the quotables here. We've got when it starts like this, it ain't getting any better. Yeah. Um, yeah. We well, have to yeah. cut up this episode. Just call it mixed drinks exclamation point. 
And we tried not to curse this time. Hey, speaking of the announcers, I'm sure. I said, speaking of the announcers, you know, Jim Jackson, I forget who his partner was. I know I put it in the preview, but all I did was look at the game notes and just write it. I already forgot. There was one point where at the end of the game, they mentioned, well, you know, Georgetown's got to get ready for Creighton coming in on the 30th. Okay, that game was canceled. I I just feel like that was kind of a, are you kidding me? And then there was a point in the first half where I think it was carry, carry drill three. Carry he had yeah so Carrie drilled a three and they said it was Javon Blair. Don't you mean Javon Blair? You're talking about like the first like five minutes of the second half where they were like misidentifying Don Carey. Yeah, that's not the first time that's happened, by the way. And and, they don't look that much alike either. They they don't look they don't look that much alike. And he didn't just say you know Carrie or I'm sorry Blair drained a three. It was they went on about how you know Blair was one of Moving into the top ten in Georgetown's all time list. Also, and... also, also <laughs> doesn't Don Carey have a two digit number? <laughs> yeah, anyway. I say, yeah, Carey is a lucky number. He's lucky number yeah. thirteen. I I just yeah. thought I just thought that was come on, come on, guys. Um, well, we can get out of here just like the announcers didn't really do their do their homework. And there's going to be no December thirtieth. New Year's Eve Eve podcast because there is no more game. So I don't know if Georgetown's going to get any recruits before now and then, but <laughs> I think this might be signing off for the year. Although I'm sure I'll find some reason to get back on here. John, I want to really thank you for coming on, giving us a book review, and providing all of your all of your known wisdom and insight into the Hoyas. Thanks for getting us to a Gerald Riley career synopsis that was really important for tonight until next time yeah thanks bobby and and happy holidays to you bobby everybody who's listening happy holidays to to all of you and your families uh stay safe out there i let's make 2021 way the hell better than 2020 and i'm not talking about the basketball program at this point Uh, all the blessings in the world to all of you guys perfect next time